This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Welcome back to the show. So we've talked a lot about the state of the film industry right now, but let's turn our attention to television. And I'm so happy to have back on the show the great Eric Deggins, NPR TV critic and media analyst. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I love doing it. The world is definitely a different place since the last time we spoke. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sheltering in place in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, trying to resist the urge to go to the beaches. They're starting to open them up around here. And I think, uh, I think they're insane to do so. So I'm just, uh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm hunkering down and watching a lot of television, basically. Yeah. Well, at least we have that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I wanted to start um, right off the bat with this week's news. And I wouldn't say it's that surprising, but there's a lot of talk about the Netflix quarterly report. And let's just say they're not doing all that bad, even though the rest <laughs> of the world is. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, you know, as you indicated, it's not um, unexpected. When you look at the things, the, the areas of media that have most been impacted by the virus, uh, of course, it's, it's broadcast television, it's cable television, it's uh, movie theaters, it's anything that involves advertising or involves gathering groups of people to experience it. So Netflix uh, just happens to be in this wonderful corner of media where it doesn't deal with any of that. They don't have commercials. They don't, uh, people don't have to gather in groups to, to experience what they do. Um, and people are stuck at home and they need a diversion. So of course uh, there's even more uh, of a chance to, to entice them to get a Netflix membership and spend some time consuming their vast uh, library of material. So, so they're perfectly positioned. Um, they, they announced uh, earlier this week that uh, they'll have, that they have um, 16 million new subscribers in the first quarter. Um, their company is valued greater than Disney at this point because um, a lot of people in the business world expect Disney to take a huge hit because a huge part of Disney's business is uh, its theme parks, its, uh, its hospitality industry, cruises and things like that, and also broadcast and cable networks, uh, which depend on advertising revenue. So um, it, it's just working out. It, it's, it's been interesting. The virus has sort of upended a lot of these assumptions that we had about how this year was going to play out in media. Um, there was a lot of thought that Netflix was going to face a lot of competition, a lot of new competition from streaming services like Disney Plus and HBO Max is coming up on May 27th and uh, Quibi just started in early April. But as it turns out, um, you know, people are not that interested in Quibi. There's not been a lot of excitement about HBO Max. Uh, NBC's Peacock, the way they chose to roll it out is really odd. People can't, uh, unless you're a Comcast subscriber, you can't even see it until mid-July. Uh, and, and so, you know, Netflix is sitting in a pretty interesting spot right now. Um, even in late night, you look at late night and uh, Jimmy Fallon seems to be doing better with younger viewers than he has in a long time because he's taken advantage of this, uh, you know, new format where all the hosts are stuck at home and he's involving his kids and he's involving the roots and they're figuring out all these interesting ways to do things. 
And Stephen Colbert has struggled. He was, uh, you know, the, the, the market leader in, in late night. Uh, he, he seems to have, uh, he, he really likes interacting with an audience. He seems to have uh, struggled to find a groove. Um, you know, uh, he, he, uh, he has his band leader, um, you know, that he talks to occasionally, but they haven't figured out a way to include the whole band the way that uh, Fallon has and, and even uh, Jimmy Kimmel is doing now. Uh, so so it's, it's interesting. It's just everything's kind of been mixed up and, uh, you know, people that we thought were going to be on the bottom are, are, gonna, are on top and uh, who knows where all this is going to go. And somehow it seems like Netflix, they even have a bunch of new shows coming. Are they like done with their seasons? They're rolling out The Crown and things like that. Well, it seems like so many others have halted productions. Um, they did a, a what they called, I think, an investor's interview where they were interviewed by somebody from the company uh, on YouTube and, and investors and the general public could watch it. And one of the things that Ted Sarandos, the chief content officer, said is that they worked very far in advance. So they had already filmed uh, a lot of the series that they expected to roll out this year. And, and if it's filmed, then it's easier to, to complete the post-production uh, with everybody at home. And that's essentially what they're doing. Uh, and they even have writer's rooms, virtual writer's rooms set up so that writers can work uh, from home. So they're developing, they're even developing projects and things like that, you know, uh, with people working from home. Uh, whereas in, in the broadcast networks, they work much closer to the airtime. In, in an average broadcast uh, situation, in, in, the, in the middle of the season, you'll have uh, one episode that's in post-production where they're um, editing it down and that kind of thing. It's all been shot, they're editing it down. You'll have one episode that's being filmed uh, and then you'll have another episode that is in pre-production where um, the, the director is working with the producers and the writers and trying to figure out where they're going to shoot it, how they're going to shoot it, what the sets, what sets they're going to use and things like that. And, and, and because there's so many episodes, they create so many episodes, you know, you might have 25 episodes of a network TV show as opposed to, you know, 10 or 13 episodes of a, of a Netflix show. So, uh, so I think a lot of broadcast shows kind of got caught uh, flat footed because they were kind of right in the middle of production. And, um, and this also happened um, right in the middle of pilot season when, when the networks would normally be developing and shooting uh, normally they would be shooting the pilots and, 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 and starting to choose a, uh, which pilots they were going to pick up to go to series in March and April. And so when everything shut down with that, like now the networks don't even really have a pipeline for new material because they haven't necessarily um, decided which pilots they want to pick up and, 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 and turn to series. So, you know, broadcast is really hurting and cable is, is hurting a little bit too. What are some of the biggest shows in broadcast that have been halted? Well, it's not so much the shows have been halted. It's um, they've been forced to wrap up early. Uh, Fox's Empire, for example, uh, ended its series run on Wednesday, um, and 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 it happened early. They 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 had expected to go until May. Um, the the NBC's Chicago series, you know, Chicago Med, Chicago PD, uh, Chicago Fire. Uh, again, they ended their series run, I think, last week or maybe the week before, and they had expected uh, to end their run in, in, in uh, mid-May. But does that mean that they're not doing the last episodes? 
Yeah. They're just not doing those ever, is it? They're just not. They're just. They're just not doing it. Uh, or they, you know, they they try to figure out some way through editing to like, you know, conclude stuff. Just edit the ending. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 some shows, you know, like uh, Black Monday on Showtime, they they're pausing it, so they actually they're they 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 started airing new episodes. They're going to stop airing new episodes, and then they're going to pick up airing the last four episodes. I think in June, in late June, and 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 part of that I think is it might be a pipeline kind of thing. They want to make sure they have new episodes through the summer, and so they're they're figuring out different ways to sort of um, stretch out how they're going to air these shows to make sure they have new content all the way through the summer, hoping that maybe at the end of the summer production can resume in some way. Uh, and, and, and the pipeline can come back. So you get the sense that, you know, every channel uh, and every platform is dealing with this in a different way. And, and again, Netflix seems to be positioned the best because they have the deepest pockets and they work far in advance. You were mentioning these sort of remote episodes that the talk shows were doing. There's some other shows that are doing that as well. For example, American Idol and SNL. What do you think of those? Yeah, SNL is, has always been able to take advantage of crucial moments and, and, and get out there and try to do something ambitious. Uh, I think the actual episode that we saw, they called it uh, Saturday Night Live at Home, I think. I mean, pound for pound, it wasn't like the best SNL episode ever. But, uh, but you give them so many points for trying and it felt so good to see... Uh, the industry, you know, actually try something innovative and try to do something different. Uh, to, to me, if you really want to look at what's possible, um, you know, the Saturday Live thing, um, you know, was a, was a toe in the water. But uh, I think the One World Together at Home uh, event that they did um, on last Saturday. Lady Gaga. And, yeah. With Lady Gaga and all these performers from all over the world. Um, you saw some people doing really involved really good looking, really technically uh, complicated um, presentations that hinted at what, um, you know, the, the TV world might be able to pull off. In particular, the Rolling Stones performance, you know, if you haven't had a chance to see it, yeah, see I would say check it out on YouTube. Um, they, they, everyone looked good. You know, the cameras that they used were high quality. They didn't look uh, like a video chat screen, like like so many uh, performances did, and and it seemed I, I I don't have any special information, but it seemed like like Mick uh, was playing guitar and sang the song, and then they they recorded a track, an instrumental track to go along with what he was playing, and the other guys uh, were kind of um, you know to varying degrees kind of faking along with with what was happening, particularly uh, the drummer Charlie Watts who was who was just air drumming, you know, on a, on a bunch of suitcases. But the, te- the, the, the technical sophistication required to sync up that audio, have it all sound good, have Mick sound good singing where he was, uh, and, and then have ev- sync up everybody else to look like they're playing with him. You know, it's deceptively simple looking, but, uh, you know, it seemed like something very uh, tough to pull off, but it, it worked great. And so if they can do it, then obviously... Um, you know, uh, big TV productions and, and broadcast networks and cable channels can do something similar. Uh, we're going to see the CBS series All Rise, the legal drama. They're going to do an episode that's all filmed with people sheltered at home uh, related to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
And so this will be the first time, as far as I know, that we'll see a full episode of scripted network TV, um, a full episode of the scripted network TV series created after the pandemic shut everything down. And so I'm, I'm really interested in, uh, you know, how they're going to pull this off. What is it going to look like? Um, is this something that could be sustained? Could they possibly do more than one, more than a one-off episode? You know, it's, uh, you know, places like SNL and, and All Rise and other series, they're, 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 they're pioneering these questions. And I think they're going to pioneer techniques that we're going to see retained even when the, the industry comes back. Because that's the big question and it's impossible for us to answer when production will be, be back. But what are some of the difficulties that they will encounter? I know that a lot of people are talking about insurance, for example, um, how, how sure. they'll be insured, all the crew and staff and who wants to insure it when you're not sure if the virus is still spreading or not. What are some of the things you're seeing and hearing there? Yeah, I think, well, you know, the biggest challenge, of course, is that if, if you don't have a way of testing people for the virus quickly, then you don't have any way of knowing that when you bring a group of people together, who among them might be infected and whether or not they might infect other people. Um, and, and of course, you know, doing something like, like filming an episode of television, you can't social distance while you're doing that, really. Um, it, it involves too much close contact, you know. Um, one reason, uh, for example, why we probably didn't see Alec Baldwin playing Donald Trump in the SNL at Home episode is because he couldn't, you know, a, a makeup person couldn't come in and apply all the prosthetics. You know, he had to pretend to call in. So, so what do you do when you have people who are playing characters where they need to have prosthetics and they need to have costumes? And so I think, uh, you know, all of those things, I, you know, what I think what has to happen is we have to have a situation where people can get tested. We have to have a situation where the companies can create groups of employees that they know are not infected and that they know are isolated in a way that they won't get infected in the future. Uh, and then maybe they can uh, create a more stripped down kind of television early on. It, you're, you're right. It's hard, it's hard to know where we're going to be at the end of the summer, but I, I can't imagine that we're going to see anything uh, approaching what I've described before uh, the fall. And, uh, and, and that means that, you know, broadcast in particular is going to be in a seriously tough situation because they're going to start running out of new material. And it's going to be hard to imagine how they can replenish their supply because they need so many episodes of television and they can't make anything uh, over the summer. So fall will be a bunch of empty slots or filled with something else, reruns or... It would probably be reruns is what I would imagine. But and that would be devastating uh, to them, I think. So so that's the question. You know, there's a lot of pressure on these media companies that have a lot of financial resources to figure out a solution that does not involve waiting until fall uh, to to create new uh, television. We're going to of course, we're going to see a lot more reality because it's scripted is easier to do. Um, we may see more animation. Uh, it, it, it's easier to do that and it's easier to do that quickly. Uh, nowadays with modern technology. Um, there's, there's a whole raft of sort of game shows and stuff that we're going to see over the summer. Maybe those will continue. I, I think the bar for, for what's considered an acceptable uh, series may, may drop a bit, and we may see some series that, uh, you know, perhaps they would not have aired in the past. 
um, you know, that they may dust off and, and put on the air for a while. It, 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 I think the broadcast, what, one, the other thing, you know, in, in addition to sort of upending some of the things we expected to see from media this year, the other thing that I think uh, the virus has done is that uh, areas of media that were already struggling have been hit really hard. You know, broadcast television has already been seeing declines in viewership, has already been struggling for visibility and relevance, and now they're in a position where they can't make new episodes of television uh, at a time when they were just getting ready to figure out what sort of new material they're going to bring to people for the fall. And uh, in the same way, the cable TV industry, you know, already kind of beset by people cutting the cord and not wanting to pay. Well, now we're in a situation where people aren't working, they're worried about how much money they have, um, they're stuck at home and they need to watch television, but they're counting their pennies. And, it, you know, it might make a lot more sense, you know, to drop the cable channels and pick up a few streaming services that you know have material that you're interested in, as opposed to, uh, you know, paying a lot of money for a cable service uh, that's filled with a bunch of channels that you never watch. So, so those sectors have been hit hard. Uh, we've seen figures indicating that, cable, that cord cutting is accelerating. And um, and so, the, you know, even though uh, viewership is up on the broadcast networks, you know, advertisers are spending less money on advertising because they're worried about their future as well. So even though, you know, you're, you're seeing more people watching television, it's harder to make money off of, you know, the, the bigger crowds who are watching television. So, you know, sectors that were already struggling in media are, are even getting hit harder. So many people losing jobs. I mean, it's going to be a real tragedy. I mean, we're already seeing so much of that in, in print and in radio and everywhere else, it's going to be a really hard time for media. But And another, I guess, less important thing, but I was reading a small article about what we're going to be seeing less even when this is over is like is kissing on in television. <laughs> so all these very sexy HBO shows are going to have to be. Uh, maybe. I mean, you know, my sense is that if you're in a situation where people are in a scene together, you you have to have some sense. Yeah. You have to have some sense that they're that they're not infected. So I, you know the, the whole kissing thing. I don't know about that, but um, but you know I, what I find is I find myself getting nostalgic for crowd scenes. I was watching a a, a new show. It's not out yet called a High Town. It's going to be on Stars, and the lead character is walking through a street fair, and I found myself getting emotional watching this character walk through a street fair say hi to all these people, give high fives to people they knew, you know, hey, how you doing, you know, you get a, get a, uh, like a, like a frozen uh, yogurt, you know, from a stand. I was like, man, I, I, I didn't realize how much I missed something like that until I saw it, um, you know, on television. And so I think we're going to have this, odd, we have this odd moment now where we are getting new shows that are showing um, a world that doesn't exist anymore and, and won't exist for a while. You know, it's, it, it, is, it is odd to watch shows where there is a concert scene or where there is a, a, a sporting event with a lot of people because we are not going to see that for a long time. And so uh, what kind of television are we going to end up with uh, once people start making television that reflects our new reality? That's, that's what I'm interested in. You know, my experience has been that it takes a, a while for us to see this. You know, when 9-11 happened, there were some series that tried to create things in the moment that spoke to how people felt. You know, the West Wing famously tried to do an episode um, that, that talked about 9-11 that aired, I think, a few weeks after it happened. But I think um, what was obvious is that it takes time to process uh, how people feel about stuff. 
And, uh, and so the definitive sort of statement about what we're going through on television, I don't expect to see for a while, but it, it's always possible. And, and, uh, and that's going to be very, um, very interesting, creative, riveting television. Just finally, I, you always give such good tips. I want to know what you're watching. Well, I happen to know, I think we're watching the same thing because I am riveted by The Last Dance. Yeah, The Last Dance is a docuseries, 10 parts about Michael Jordan's last championship season was the Chicago Bulls in 1997 and 1998. But that um, description doesn't do this documentary series justice because what it really does is it, it, it goes back and forth in time. So it, it, it will go back in time and talk about how Michael Jordan became Michael Jordan, how he became an athlete that revitalized the Chicago Bulls at a time when they were a joke in the NBA, uh, and then how uh, he assembled a team of uh, athletes around him that could help him win championships, how Scottie Pippen came, uh, how Dennis Rodman came, and then the friction that they had with the general manager of the team, Jerry Krause, and why um, you know uh, Michael Jordan ultimately felt like he was pushed out of, of basketball a little bit, encouraged to, to leave. Um, his retirement, and his first retirement where he – uh, tried to play baseball for a while, and then and then came back to the Bulls for that final championship season. You guys not allowed? No, I'm just kidding. What time is it? Big Ben Bob mentality was to go out and win at any cost. Jordan is the most talented player in the NBA, by far. The show of the 90s, the team of the 90s. How you feeling? Whenever they speak Michael Jordan, they should speak Scottie Pippen. We created an image that people want to live up to. I think that's all you can hope for. And uh, so there's a, you know, the story takes a lot of twists and turns. I haven't even seen the last two episodes because they hadn't been done. They weren't done with production. This was something that was supposed to air, I think, in June. And they moved it up uh, because ESPN realized that people were hungry for sports programming. And ESPN also realized that, you know, they're running out of programming. <laughs> you know, that's another thing uh, we didn't talk about was that, uh, you know, Disney, ESPN is a big part of Disney as well and and they don't have any live news sports programming so they're they're scrambling to figure out ways to create shows that people can watch so the last dance is perfect for them and you know very popular the first episode um, became their uh highest rated documentary series ever on espn and this is what you were talking about that we're you know wanting to see sports and events with people and things that we can't we're not living in that reality and i was just thinking when you were mentioning this of course there's no olympics this year which would have right. filled the entire summer for exactly. um, is it nbc yeah yeah and again you know that's another you know looking forward we would have thought well nbc is going to have a big year because they're rolling out peacock uh, the streaming service and they planned it so that the public would have access to peacock just a couple of weeks before uh, the Olympics would start and they'd have a bunch of specialized programming on that streaming service for people who signed up. Well, all of that is obliterated now. Um, you know, there's no, there's no Olympics. You know, what's NBC's fortune is going to be 
because that's a huge boost to their viewership and a huge boost to their bottom line. Okay, so one more tip uh, from you that's either on or coming. One more. <laughs> you have so many. I have so many. I have so many. So Afterlife, the second season of the uh, comedy series that Ricky Gervais is doing for Netflix, he's playing a, a widower who's bummed out about his wife dying. He's trying to figure out how to reconnect to life. It's very funny. Uh, it, it, it debuts on Netflix. Uh, Bad Education, wonderful movie with Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney. Hugh Jackman plays this perfect school superintendent whose uh, district is about to be named the number one district in the country. And then the school board finds out that Allison Janney, the woman who runs their finances, has embezzled a ton of money. And it's like, a, it's a, it's like pulling a string on a, a sweater. Once they start to dig into it, uh, this whole thing, I don't even want to say what happens because you've got to watch it to find out. It's so great. So it, uh, Better Call Saul, season five. Now that wrapped up um, just this Incredible. past Monday. So now you can, if you have uh, cable, you can go to AMC and you can binge watch all the episodes. It has just been an amazing season. I cannot believe how good this show has gotten. And it's to the point where it might even be better than Breaking Bad, the show it was based on. And then finally, um, Ryan Murphy has a new series that's going to debut on Netflix on May 1st called Hollywood. And uh, it's really this way of looking back at kind of the end of the golden age of Hollywood from the perspective of people who've always, who, who were marginalized by that system, from the perspective of gay people, from the perspective of people of color, from the perspective of women. And, and you know, people coming to Hollywood trying to seek their fortune, but they're part of these groups that have always been marginalized. And how do they find their way? Uh, it, it is it is a really interesting subject. And it's also, it, it seems to be heavily inspired by this documentary about a guy uh, who ran a, a gas station in Beverly Hills that was a front for pros prostitution, you know? Yeah, I have Ho Holland <laughs> Taylor was this week's guest on my show. So hear her talk a little bit about the series. Fascinating. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm so happy in these hearts that we at least have some good things to watch and, and some comfort food. And thank you, Eric, so much again for talking to us with your interesting perspective. And I'll be calling on you again. Call me anytime. I love talking to you guys. Thank you so much to Eric Deggins. Follow him on Twitter at Deggins, D-E-G-G-A-N-S. And you can hear his reviews and reports at NPR.org. And thank you so much for listening. If you can, please support the work and get extra membership goodies by becoming a member at Pop Culture Confidential Premium. Check that out here, popcultureconfidential.supportingcast.fm. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.